you ever wish that you could have a therapist as a friend? Well, now's your chance. I'm Marianne Griffith, and I'm the host of the Renewal Session Podcast, where each week we have real conversations about the messy and the meaningful things of life with me and some of my friends. I'm a therapist who's passionate about helping people break free of strongholds and create a better life. Pull up a seat and let's dive in to a real conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of the Renewal Session. I'm super excited that you're here today and getting to listen to one of my favorite people on the planet, my girlfriend, Courtney Gill. And Courtney and I have been friends for like mm, 10 years now. Um, and it has just been a wonderful ride of learning and growing and laughing. And so I'm just super excited to have her on the show today. And we're going to talk about one of our three pillars. We're going to talk about refining your purpose. So Courtney, hello. Hi, Marianne. This is so exciting. I'm really excited. I can't believe I get to be on your podcast. I know because here's the thing. You're like my first interview. I ditched my daughter for you. Oh no. (laughs) She's going to find out and then she'll be upset. (laughs) It's whatever. I don't care. (laughs) Okay, so I I asked you the other day. I'm like, hey, I want I want to talk to you about this because I know this this is something that you're passionate about figuring out in your life. So I just wanted to kind of hear the process. But I thought I would do something interesting, which is not typical of me, but I actually have a split screen right now because we're doing this over Zoom. I have this split screen and I decided, okay, I'm just out of curiosity going to see what Google says is the definition of a calling. Oh. And then I'm going to see what Google says is a definition of purpose. So let me tell you what Google says is a calling from God. Your calling is how God created you to worship him, serve him, honor him, and give glory to him in everything you do. Okay. Like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Kind of like all encompassing. So then I opened up another tab and it says that the definition of purpose is the aim or the intention of something, the feeling of being determined to do or achieve something, a goal. Right. So, and then this weird thing, you know how like Google will say, okay, you looked up this, but then it gives you like six drop downs of like other questions that people asked. So this was another question that somebody asked. They said, how do I know my purpose in God? And it gave seven steps. So I'm going to read the seven steps. And then when you tell me how you've been trying to discern, I want to see if you've incorporated any of these. Okay. I can guarantee I am not as succinct as seven steps. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. So the first one is turn to the Bible. Number two, pray for direction. Three, follow the will of God. Four, promises of God. Five, living a purpose-driven life. Thank you, Rick Warren. Six, how to apply God's purpose in your life. Seven, a personal challenge. I'm not really, I don't really know what that seven thing's about, but whatever. What's hard about that is like, even by step three, I was like, okay, cool. But how do I do that? Right. Follow the right. Like, like, so I'm sure. turning to the Bible. I'm praying, which you know, I, I I definitely think that both of those reveal the will of God, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't have a debate about that. But 
So tell me when you've gone through the process of figuring out like, what is my purpose? What is my calling? When did you start that process in life? It's really interesting because when I think about purpose and you and I have talked about this before, um, purpose seems so closely linked to our identity and I feel like I was really trying to hone in on my identity from a really early age. I think some of that stems from the fact that when I was two, I started playing the violin and I wanted to do that for the rest of my life at two years old. I don't know how a two-year-old can kind of conceive of doing that, but... More importantly, how did you hold the violin? I I mean, my kids were only drinking out of sippy cups at two. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on over at your house? I don't really know what was happening, but (laughs) (laughs) I had seen seen some family friends who were a little older than me who played, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so from the time I was two, um, I kind of had this end goal in my mind of I want to be a violinist, I want to be a concert violinist. And almost everything in my life um, kind of centered around that goal. And with that, my identity kind of became that. I think my first screen name on Instant Messenger was like Violin Girl and my birth date. Um, And in school, I was kind of the nerdy violin girl who liked to read. And um, I didn't have a ton of friends. And so it really was my childhood, this is who I'm going to be. This is my, this is my goal. This is what I'm working toward. And so everything in my life from, you know, my parents taking me to private lessons and um, the way that I spent my free time as a child, um, the things that I cared about, it was all about being a violinist. And so for me, from a really young age, I was pretty clear on you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? A violinist, that's what I want to be. And, and so I did understand this idea from early on that if you know who you want to be, then it's really easy to figure out how to order your life. Interesting. Easy to figure out how you want to spend your time, the things that you prioritize, um, if you know who you want to be. The problem is I had like a midlife crisis when I turned 13. (laughs) (laughs) Midlife crisis. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're older than 26 now. I was going to say I'm 31 now. So thankfully it wasn't actually midlife. But but I had this kind of identity crisis happen. Um, You know, I had gone down this track. I had done everything by the time I was 13 that I ever dreamed of doing with the violin. I had played as a soloist with adult symphonies. I had played in Carnegie Hall. I had, I had recorded and all of this stuff. And um, to be 13 and feel like I don't know where there is to go from here. And to be honest, I don't enjoy this anymore. And so being 13 is hard anyway. And um, being 13 and feeling like you're having an adult level identity crisis is even harder. And so I would say from that point on, not only did I decide I don't want to be a concert violinist, but I actually had no clue how to be anything else and no clue how to discern who I wanted to be. And 
And so all those lessons that I learned as a child about ordering my life, getting my priorities straight in order to get me to this end goal, I felt like, um, well, I don't even know what the end goal is anymore. Yeah. And so how, wh- what do I do now? So, um, so did yeah. you tell anybody that this was kind of going on? Were you talking to your parents saying, this is, this is who I always thought I was going to be. And now, and now all of a sudden I don't want that. And they guided you towards how to find your true identity or did you have to go through that blind? You know, one thing that I really credit my parents with is they held on to my dreams pretty loosely. They, they really invested in my dreams Um, But when I came to them, I was really scared to come to them. And they had never pressured me about, you know, being a violinist or doing anything. They were kind of just along for the ride and being supportive. Um, But I was scared because I didn't know, you know, I felt like a part of my life was ending. Yeah. And so I thought um, it was going to be a really difficult conversation. And I was able to go to them and tell them, you know, I don't think this is what I want to do. And in fact, like, I kind of want to be done for good. Like, I don't want to do, I don't even want to do lessons anymore. I don't want to be an orchestra anymore. I don't want to do these things. And, um, for some reason they put enough trust in my 13 year old emotional hormone ridden (laughs) mind, um, to say like, that's okay. If that's a, if that's what you feel, um, strongly about, however, as amazing as my parents are, I don't think they knew what to do um, with their 13-year-old daughter who had been so driven in the same direction and um, who suddenly felt like she had no direction. And so I would say from 13 until 19, I felt like I was very aimless and wanted to try a lot of different things but it was a really difficult period of my life socially and, you know, my inner life emotionally and mentally. Um, and so I definitely feel like they were not super equipped to help me walk through that. Um, I felt very loved through all of it, but there, there were a lot of difficulties for them as parents, I think, watching me um, feel kind of aimless and feel kind of stuck. Well, and I, I think it's interesting that aimless is the word, right? Because according to Webster dictionary, if you have purpose, you should have uh-huh. an aim. So yeah. were you, did you, at what point in your life? Cause I know that you have a strong sense of identity now and, mm-hmm. and a sense of seasonal purpose, perhaps, uh, you know, you may have an overarching sense of, and we, we can get to this, but an overarching sense of, yes, I believe I'm called to demonstrate certain Christ-given qualities. Mm-hmm. How that comes out might look different in each season of life, but you, I, th- I do think you have an understanding of where your gifts are and, and all of that. But when do you think you discovered that your faith would be an anchor in your identity? That's a great question. And I can pretty clearly point back to 
um, my between my freshman and sophomore year of college uh, being that period of time for me where um, like I said I you know my teen years were pretty difficult and definitely um, definitely had a lot of struggles in that time and was rooted somewhat in my faith and did have like a faith community supporting me in those years. But um, I felt like almost like an outsider kind of looking in. I was watching people have what I, you know, believe to be very real experiences of, you know, knowing God's love and understanding what it meant to be beloved of God and to kind of walk that out in your life. But I always felt like there was something kind of fundamentally different or broken about me and that I didn't experience that really myself. And so um, there are a lot of different things happened my freshman year of college. And so between my freshman and sophomore year, I was part of um, at my university, I was part of a ministry team. Uh, it was music oriented. So got to get the music back in there somehow. Right. Um, I was singing and playing keyboard on this team. And our job was pretty much to go around to youth camps and spend time with students who were teenagers. Um, like I still was at the time I was 18, 19. Um, and, and it could have been easy to not really have a strong sense of inclusion in the in the you know in the Christian community to feel a little bit like an outsider and then you're you're in essence an ambassador for this Christian university having to demonstrate faithfulness and worship and leading people yeah Is that hard really hard and i think because of the difficulty of it i think that is what helped me come to understand what I would view as my greater calling and purpose in life. Okay. I remember having a moment where I was talking to a girl, she was probably 14 or 15 um, at one of these camps. And I remember thinking, cause I know I had heard people say things like this, you know, um, be who you needed when you were younger. Oh. And, you know, I kind of, I remember having this moment where I was like, what did I need when I was like basically in her shoes just a few years ago? And, you know, what was I feeling? And so I was feeling, I was feeling lonely. I was feeling aimless, directionless. I was feeling like an outsider. Um, and all I wanted to know was that I wasn't as broken as I thought that God's love for me was as real as God's love for anyone else. And that my life mattered and had meaning. And so I, that kind of became my mission in that job was I want every student that I talk to, to know that they aren't as broken as they think they are, that God's love for them is strong and big, and there's nothing they can do to separate themselves from that love. And, and so in trying to bring that message and to bring that connection to these students, I began to believe that for myself. What um, a great, what a great thing though, for you to begin to build your, like your sense of calling 
out mm -hmm. of this idea of what did I need and making an, making an assumption that's an accurate assumption, I think, that everyone mm -hmm. needs to hear they're worthy and they're valuable and they're loved. And, and so early on, you were already giving out to people, even though you weren't necessarily 100% sure of who you right. were and what you were called to do, you were still giving out elements of ultimately what God had implanted in you. You yeah. just probably didn't necessarily know how that was going to work out or any of those things. I, I think I would have been lucky to have somebody like you come up to me and make me feel those things or even directly say those things to me because that's something that I just don't feel like we hear from people, mm -hmm. right? I, I was talking about this the other day with somebody and I said, um, I said, you know, this sounds a little cliche but I'm going to say it anyway, which is I do see you. Like I see what's going on. I see what's happening that, and you're trying so hard. And there was this death, like this sound of deafness on the other side. And I was like, uh Oh, I might've just made a mistake. Cause I was on the phone. I couldn't see them, whatever. And then all of a sudden I heard the person go to respond to say, thank you. But it was like that warble in yeah. their voice. And I was like, Oh no, I made them cry. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you cry. I just was wanting you to say, I want, I wanted you to hear somebody say, this isn't being missed. Yeah. And, and this is a really wonderful thing that you're trying to do. Even if the recipient isn't receiving it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I love that. I, so did then that become something that grew in clarity of this idea of like, I want to speak into people's lives. I want to be able to tell them of their worth. Was that something that kept building for you or did, did it take a different road? No, it absolutely did. And, and I think when I feel the most fulfilled and the most alive in my life, that's what I'm doing is I am living life with people and I'm able to be an extension of God's love and presence with them and um, really hear them, like you were saying, you know, and, and try to hold all the complexities of life with them, you know, and to be with people in some of the best moments of their life and some of the worst moments of their life and be able to be a reminder, at least in, you know, my physical body and presence that, um, that God's love for them is, is unending. So you, you kind of said like, this is my favorite thing, you know, to get to sit with people and, and walk out these things in life. It's your most fulfilled time. Mm -hmm. How did you, how did you discern that this was like this feeling that you were having when you were sitting with these people mm -hmm. might very well be how God had uniquely made you to care for his people. Like, cause you know, I, I think about myself, like I was listening to something the other day and the person's like, what, um, what you're doing, if it doesn't feel like work, then that's what you were made to do. And I literally was like, everything can yeah. feel like work at yeah. any given point. But mm -hmm. if you said to me, well, 
let's switch that and say, if you could, if you could spend, if you could wake up in the morning and spend your day doing anything, what mm-hmm. would you do? Well, my answer would be, I'd hang out with people, mm-hmm. right? Well, I'm a therapist primarily before mm-hmm. I started this podcast and mm-hmm. that's what I do. Yeah. That's what I do. And that's what I, that's what I wanted to do when I was little. I can mm-hmm. remember just like you were saying, I, you know, it was hard for me to navigate how to do relationships and be healthy. And it was just, it was a mess. I was a mess. Socially things were just messy. And, and yet I really did want to have deeper relationships. I just didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And now I look and I see, oh my gosh, this tiny little thing that seemed like a desperate need, even when Mm -hmm. I was young has grown into something that now at my age, I look at and I think, Oh, mm-hmm. that's what that was. Yeah. I didn't under, I didn't understand it at the time, but mm-hmm. there was definitely this like flame being fanned as the years went mm-hmm. on, but my faith and my, my healing, because I had had some experiences in my life that I think had stalled me out and kept mm-hmm. me in unhealthy habits, but my faith and then my healing had to take effect for ultimately the identity and the purpose to be clear. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't just because I feel like today what, what I see people doing is they grab the book, they take the class, they have the conversations Mm -hmm. and, and there's like an, an impatience or Mm -hmm. urgency of like, let me get there. If I could just find out then I could coast the rest of my life. And my thing is, is, I wasn't prepared emotionally to do what I do today Hmm. back when I was looking for it. Mm -hmm. But because I was able to like surround myself with people who did speak into me about my worthiness, who did say I had gifts and talents and things to share with other people. When I worked through my own healing and God working with me really is what happened there. But as God was working to heal so many different pieces of me at the end, it was like all this stuff had been poured into me by these godly people and people who just, I can remember I worked a job at a catalog company back in the day. I don't think, you know, did you know I worked for a catalog company? I did. did, I worked for this catalog (laughs) company and I was, uh, let's see, I was, uh, the dropship coordinator. That sounds very fancy, doesn't it? I had an office and I had these very tall um, cubicle walls, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody else had normal sized cubicle walls, but I had the back corner, tall, tall walls, almost to the ceiling, right? And one day I'm in the lunchroom and I'm like, I have the tallest walls in the whole place. My supervisor and my, like the two supervisors, it was mine and another one was sitting, were sitting at the kitchen or the lunch table with me. I was like, oh, I got these big walls. It's so many that makes me feel so important. And And they start laughing. And I was like, why are you guys laughing? (laughs) Like, we had to put big walls around you, Mary, because you're so loud. Oh, no. That's not where I thought that was going. (laughs) No, me neither, Courtney. (laughs) I sure did not. But to this day, I was like, oh, turn down the volume. But, but anyway, that's not the story I was going to (laughs) tell. The story I was going to tell is I go into this meeting and I felt so important because 
I, here I was, I think I was like 20 years old or something like this. And I'm in this meeting with these people who, you know, started this catalog company that ultimately became Home Decorators Collection that's owned by um, Home Depot. Oh, yeah. So it was back in the beginning stages of that. I was dropship coordinator for Home Decorators Collection. So I'm sitting in this meeting (laughs) and the man who's the president of the company, I, he asks me a question. I give my answer. And as soon as I get done with giving my answer, he looks over at me, says, Marion, can I have your attention, please? I was like, I wouldn't even do anything. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting here. I just told my little spiel, right? And he goes, no, I want, I want your full attention. And I said, okay. He said, Mm -hmm. Marianne, you are a diamond in the rough. And I expect to hear from you 10 years from now so we can celebrate all the great things you're going to do. Wow. And it goes down in history for me because it was the moment that like, I had always had people kind of around me say, oh, oh, Marianne, she's, you know, she's a talker or she's this or she's that, but she's got a big heart and everything. But this was completely unsolicited in a, in a boardroom with probably 15 other people who are all older than me to have somebody say that to me was like this moment where I was like, huh, okay. Now I can take in all of what I've heard these bits and pieces because what he did was he sewed it all together and said, all these qualities make you a diamond in the rough. And I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> and I still had healing to do. I still had to walk out my faith in a in a bold way and figure all that out. But it was it was like those kind words became like this anchor of I he saw something in me that I myself saw. I just didn't have the the language or the experience to go after it. For sure. Right. So, okay. Enough about me. And just so you know, (laughs) I had very tall wall cubicle walls because I'm loud. So, (laughs) but but you are not Courtney. So tell me this because you've gone through a lot of like personal work and you've gone through um, times of pursuing full-time ministry and having those opportunities be really enriching to you, but then also God kind of closing those doors and then moving you on to another thing. Mm-hmm. Has your sense of purpose been challenged mm-hmm. because of that? Like, are you, do you find yourself back at that 13 year old you feeling aimless or do you feel like, no, I've got an anchor. I do have some elements of, of aimlessness, but not like I did that. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Yeah, I would say Yes, to both two things can be true. (laughs) Um, You know, I think I would say generally, I feel a lot of clarity on the fact that, like I said, I'm most me and I'm most alive when I am able to, in whatever space I'm in, uh, remind people of their belovedness and remind them of um, divine presence with them. And the hard thing about that is, you know, when you think, okay, this is what I want to do is I want to be with people and I want to 
find new ways to communicate this truth to them. Um, you kind of end up feeling like being a, a pastor in full-time ministry is, is the option, is kind of the move for that. And yet, when I find myself in full-time ministry roles as a pastor, those are some of the most difficult times for me to keep that purpose front and center um, because there is so much that is baked into being a pastor. And then on top of that, being a pastor who's a woman, um, the challenges that come with that and the expectations that come with that have made it really difficult for me to be able to do the one thing that I really care about doing, which is reminding people that, that God's love is for them and that, that God believes in them and that they have a future and they have a purpose and that there's hope and beauty in their lives. And, um, and so I always have this pull, uh, yeah, you should be a pastor. That's what you should be doing. Um, and yet whenever I have left a pastoral role, it's been because I no longer have the energy to do the one thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing. And so currently I'm not in a full-time ministry role and I'm in a season of life where I do feel like the future is full of possibility. Um, but I don't yet know if I will come to a point in my life where I feel like my vocation and my job will line up where I get to do, you know, what I care about doing. And I think that's okay. I'm coming to peace with that. Um, because being called by God, um, I just growing up, you know, kind of thought that meant I had to be a pastor, Yeah. you know, and I, I'm learning through my own experiences and the experiences of other people um, that I've been able to walk alongside in life. Like you, um, you have a calling on your life and it's very evident in everything that you do and the way you structure your life. And you're not a pastor, you know, and you are able to live into, into what your calling is. And so I'm excited about, continuing to learn and find new ways and new spaces um, to, to walk in my calling. I think what's, what's important. Well, okay. I want to go back because I think there are important things. One, love the term divine presence. I love <laughs> that. I'm in that because yeah. I just think it's a, you know, it is what we want to be with people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I just love the phrasing of that. So that's one. Two, <laughs> I have seen God, do incredible things, not just through you in full-time ministry, but mm -hmm. in your process of becoming clear about ministry. We, we were on staff together at a church that wasn't necessarily the easiest staff experience, but mm -hmm. you had so much sense of, of, yes, this is what God has for me. And then there was this resilience and then you and Josh relocated to Michigan again and wanted to be a part of a more um, urban experience and mm -hmm. I care for a church in that area. And so I've seen God weaving this calling in and out of different places that you've served. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what he has for you, but I don't think that the, 
that the identity or the purpose or the calling, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. has changed. I think the vehicle for how you're going to get there is going to look different. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard when you work at a church because there's so many things that are going on that aren't about personal ministry. There's yeah. just the logistics of running a church right. um, that I think sometimes can pull a person away. So I, I feel like you're in, even though you're in a season of not working full-time in ministry, mm -hmm. I think that this time of contemplation mm -hmm. will lead you to another level of clarity of like, okay, God, what is my season? What does this season look like? And what, how do you want me to use the things you've already implanted in me yeah. to serve the next, you know, season of life, someone you may have in mind. And that person might not come through the, um, structure of the church, right. God might just bring you individuals to mm -hmm. pour into and to share life with and give wisdom to. So yeah. I love, I I'm glad to hear that your sense of calling hasn't diminished, even though you're not in full-time ministry. Mm -hmm. And I, the other thing I really love that, you know, we can talk about it at a different time is that I think you're a very thoughtful person in terms of always wanting to be educated about another person's experience, mm -hmm. whether it be something that is going on culturally within the world, mm -hmm. or if it's somebody's personal story and you just don't understand that aspect of their story, I feel like you're very sensitive to making sure that the person feels loved even when you don't understand exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I know that God's going to use all of that. Like he doesn't waste his gifts, right. Right? right? If we're, if we're in obedience, but I appreciate the fact that you have said, this has been an ongoing search mm -hmm. and there's been things throughout my life that have, you know, it felt like I was clear and then I wasn't clear. Mm -hmm. felt like I was clear again and now it's not so clear, <laughs> you know, yeah. the other thing I thought, and we, again, we can talk about this at another time because I could just stay talking to you forever, um, is the idea of feeling like an outsider. Yeah. You know, like that feels like a string that's run through a lot of it yeah. for you. And, and yet I think some of the most powerful women, some of the, you know, the, the people in scripture you see, they were not accepted. Yeah. They weren't running with the pack. They were doing their own thing. And, and, and I think, wow. Okay. So maybe, maybe that's just it. Maybe part of your, your purpose is to resonate with people who feel like they're on the outside mm -hmm. and that you may always have that understanding and sensitivity towards that person because you may feel that way. And that's a hard thing. Like when, when part of your call may may be that you don't fit in that's a doozy well and you know a big a big learning for me has been you know through the example and the teachings of Jesus we see that Jesus is an outsider um you know one of his disciples like the first comment he makes about him is like can anything good come from Nazareth like you want me to go see this guy <laughs> right. You know, and 
<laughs> and so I just, you know, Jesus is Henry Nowen, who's one of my favorite authors, um, calls Jesus a wounded healer. And, and I so have begun to identify with that in my life and that the wounds, if I am open about them and, you know, this feeling, let's just take, you know, this feeling of being an outsider. If I can allow God to do a work in me that can transform that wound into a place of healing for someone else, um, it's worth it. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I, I don't want people to experience hurt and trauma and painful experiences in life. But I do believe more than anything that God's love and power in transforming wounds um, can always be for a greater healing, um, not just in my life, but in the lives of the people that I encounter. So like you're saying, as I, you know, kind of come to this realization of, yeah, my whole life, I felt kind of on the outside, like an outsider. It almost makes sense to me that right now I'm in a place where, you know, when you feel like an outsider, you don't really want to go to show up to church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe for this season in my life, I'm meant to really make sure that I'm around people who aren't going to step into a church to hear the message of God's love and, and care for them. And they're the image of God within them. Like, you know, a lot of these people aren't going to walk into a church. And so what does it look like for me to purposefully in the season of life, um, to intend to speak that love and life into the people that I meet, um, specifically outside the church specifically because I'm in a season where I'm not in full-time ministry. And yet there's, there's a real heart of ministry running even in that pondering, right? Like, okay, is it, and, and I love this about you that you, you aren't afraid to ask that question that kind of butts up against the norm Mm -hmm. and says like, maybe part of God's season in my life is ministering outside the context of that ch- of the church. Maybe Sunday mornings are going to happen on my pontoon boat with my neighbor. <laughs> I hope <Right>? so. <laughs> <laughs> I just give anything to live right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love that. I love that you're not willing to settle for the box. Mm-mm. And not and you, that you don't settle for um, a cookie cutter way of glorifying, serving, worshiping, and demonstrating God to people, because I think it's so easy, in some ways, that these seven steps I mentioned right. in the beginning can limit God. Yeah. Right. And I'm not talking about the the scripture or the prayer or, or the promise. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying that that following God's call on our lives has steps right right like it, it no i mean i i don't have any it's it's been a windy rocky road the difference is is now i just look forward to the windy rocky road because mm-hmm. i know that i've only experienced good things 
mm-hmm. and that I've only grown in my faith as a result of them. And so I don't feel this strong need to like have the answers right. the way I did when I was younger, because I know the answers, if they're anchored in God, are going to be good. And yeah. if I just stay rooted in him, that he's going to sanctify me as time goes on, and I will be able to give him more and more glory. Yeah. Right. So then I just kind of go, okay, well, I don't know how it's actually going to flesh out, but I know that these things are going to happen right. as a result of it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I imagine in your, in your vocation, um, I wonder if that's hard for you to come to that place, like a vocation where helping people and listening to people and providing like healing pathways, like helping people on their journey. I felt that as a pastor, there's always this tension to like, well, if you do this, this, and this, it's going to be smooth sailing. And, and so that is such a huge part of the journey is like coming to peace with all that we don't know. Yeah. And resting in the goodness of God that will not lead us astray and kind of relinquishing our need to have these answers. Um, Cause our finite minds can't hold all of the answers together anyway. You know, if you told me when I was 19, what I would have been going through last year when I was 30, I said, I don't think I want this journey. I don't think I, I want to do it. And so, you know, we can't hold all of that together. And so, um, I love that, that recognition of, yeah, if I can trust God at work in me and let God do that work in me, um, I don't even know if the answers will come, but a peace and a purpose and a fullness of life will come uh, that we don't understand otherwise. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You're my favorite person right now. You're mine, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so so into this conversation, but I'm like, oh, podcasts, people don't like them too long. But I'm like, I can just stay talking like this for you to you. Just make this a series. Maybe it could be like eight episodes. I don't know. I'm just saying. But I I just love love comments, people. Do you want a series? (laughs) Exactly. If they say no, I won't take offense. Well, I just love you so much. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. And I'm so glad that I got to learn just even have more intimate conversation with you because we already do this Mm -hmm. when we're not, when we're not doing it in this format, but just the sweetness of hearing you tell a story of like how God's done things in your life. I'm like, Hey, that's perfect. I just love that. So thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you, Marianne. Love you. Love you too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Renewal Session Podcast. Make sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are dropping every Thursday, and I can't wait for you to tune in to next time. Until then, live your best life.